on Christmas does not have to end on Christmas. And so I'm going to go to Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. So this is one of the the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, but it also fits for us today. It, It shows what it means to have light. It shows that God prophesies more than just the birth of Christ, more than just uh, the, the arrival of the shepherds and, and Mary and Joseph and everything, he, he always is with us. He always gives us something. He always allows us to shine our light. And this isn't talking about an earthly light, uh, about something that can be hidden. I remember when I was a kid singing the song, This Little Light of Mine. Everybody remember that? It's a wonderful song, and you still hear it sometimes, but that's not just a song for kids. That's a call from God to, to us as we live our lives, showing that, that our light is also not an earthly light. It's from him. And in this prophecy, in this scripture, it talks about mighty kings. And that's where we get the, the whole thing of calling the magi, the wise men, kings. But they weren't the only people who noticed. There were other kings that noticed. And they had different reactions. And so I want to get into that. This is Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So Bethlehem, as you know, was David's home. It's it's a place that wouldn't be noticed if not for its biblical connection. It was kind of a small town. It was about six miles outside of Jerusalem. But the wise men, and it says some wise men, They weren't just astronomers, they weren't just magi, they weren't just wise men, they weren't just good people. They were followers of God, and they'd been part of the the Jews that had been exiled back in the day, and so, you know, they'd been away for a long time, but they knew the scripture, and and they knew what God meant, and they knew what they were looking for, so they travel, but because Bethlehem's so small, they're following the star, or they're following the meteor, or they're following the, the comet, or the planet, or whatever it is. I know that sometimes there's a lot of discussion about that. Is it really a star? Is it the North Star? Is it this? Is it that? Here's what's amazing about that, and here's what's important about that. You see, they were astronomers. They were God followers, but they were also astronomers. They studied the sky. God met them where they were. It doesn't matter if it was a star or a planet or whatever. God did something that they could see, that they could notice. God got their attention, just like he does for us in different ways, just like he reaches out to us. And so they were followers of God, and, and we, in tradition, we kind of know their names are Melchior, Melchior, Caspar, probably Caspar, Balthazar, and actually if you want to, you can go to Germany and see their skulls, or apparently their skulls, that's an exciting trip, everybody plans that. Uh, but the important part again is, they saw this sign from God where they were, where they were looking, while they were studying, and they knew the scriptures, and then they followed it. So they saw, they, and then they sought it out. They seeked it out. They looked for it. And they followed it, not just with you know, their actions, but with their lives. That's who they were. And they gave everything up to go towards it. And so we go to verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. 
for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So calling Herod disturbed was kind of on the nose. Uh, he was referred to in, throughout history as Herod the Great, and that's somewhat ironic because he was very cruel and violent, and you could even argue evil, especially since he killed all boys of the same age. Like, that's pretty evil, right? So he did a lot of bad things. But that's not the only reason he was referred to as great, and it's not the only reason he was disturbed. And Jerusalem knew who he was. Uh, he had been their king for a little while, and he wasn't from there. He was an Edomite. And he had paranoid outbursts at times. Like if he felt like he was losing his power, he felt like he was being disrespected, or he felt like something wasn't the way he wanted it, he would just have these random paranoid outbursts, and so they were scared when they found out that he was kind of scared. But they still listened to him and followed him, and there's not a lot they could have done, but they still followed him, and some people kind of talked themselves into him because the other part of the grade is he had really good famine relief. Like, he took care of them at that time. And he had a lot of building projects, including building the temple. Like, he did some good things. And so people would just kind of accept that and move on. And so that's what the wise men are walking into. But above all, above everything, Herod loved power. And that was the reason for everything that he did, to get more power, to get more notoriety, to get more, as he would term it, respect. And so he resented that the Jews thought he was a usurper because he wasn't from there. He wasn't one of them. They thought that he shouldn't be there. And Augustus, Augustus once said, and I'm going to read this in Latin, Tudius est porcum, Herodus esse quam filium. Amy will be very proud of me. I'm going to translate that because I assume that even though you all know Latin, I'm going to go ahead and help you out. Uh, and that means it's safer to be Herod's pig than his son. So, yeah, so that's quite the saying. And Augustus, you know, had something to do with him being in charge. Uh, and so that's what was being said about him. And that's who he was. And then on top of all of this, there was such a great expectation for the Messiah to come. Such a great hope, such a great desire. Uh, they, they would read the scriptures and they would hope and they would pray and, and they would talk about each other about, uh, to each other about what this would look like, about the Messiah returning or coming for the first time for them. But does that, what's that sound like? That's like us. Like what do we hope for? We hope for the return of Christ. We hope for the Messiah to come again. We hope for him to show us who he is as he does every day, but to come back where every knee will bow. And so we can relate to this and we can understand this but Herod hated that. Because while he's trying to get respect and while he's trying to hold on to his power, all he heard every day from sources and from people talking was this Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah. And so when, when these wise men show up, they're like, hey, the prophecies are true. He calls them in. And he's like, hey, so these prophecies, I really, really love this Messiah guy. Where is he? Now, I like to think that wise wasn't just a, a, a title for them. They were actually kind of smart, and they're like, uh, yeah, uh, we'll go take care of this. But, you know, it's kind of like 
nobody believed that he really wanted to worship him. But imagine if he did, how amazing that would have been. But he reacted with fear and with hatred and with anger and with misunderstanding. And so he calls in the chief priests and the scribes, which the Pharisees, and as you know from Jesus' time on earth, the Pharisees had a lot to do with following him around and questioning him, but they knew the scriptures so well that they're like, yeah, this is the sign of the Messiah. Now to me, this speaks to their actions later when they're like, yeah, you're not the Messiah, you're not this. They're like, here, they're like, yeah, this is the Messiah's sign. This is what it is. This is the prophecy. Like they, they confirmed it. But then it didn't turn out what they wanted, how they wanted. And so that changed how they reacted. That changed who they were. And so the wise men are then called in because they're still looking for him. And they'd followed the star or, or the sign to Jerusalem. And so Herod's like, hey, follow it to the source. Here's some money, here's some power, whatever you need. You know, go find it and then come back to me. And so we go to verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want to go back to what I said at the beginning real quick. Because it says that the star stopped over the, over the house where he was. Because this is 6 to 18 months after he was born. But it stopped over. And again, how miraculous, how amazing, how godlike it is that he sent this sign that they would recognize because that's what they did. Now think about our own lives and the ways that he can speak to us where maybe not many other people would understand. Where, where if you're uh, involved in music a lot and you'll just hear in a song his word, it seems like it's speaking just to you. Or if you're a big reader, or, or if you just, you can see it in other people, in, in children, at Christmas time, or whatever, whatever it is that you study, whatever it is that you do, he comes to you there. And how amazing is that? This is God that created everything. This is the God that, that made the universe, made the world. This is the all-powerful, all-knowing God. And yet, he went to them. He didn't have to do that. But he loves them. And he wanted them to be a part of this. And so he gave them this calling and he, he showed them. And so they go and, and they arrive at a house with a mother and child. And they bring gifts and this little kid doesn't care about these gifts. Like gold, what's a kid going to do with that? I mean, buy stuff on the internet, stuff like that. But, but there's not much use for that. Frankincense, uh, when I was a kid I always would think Frankenstein. I still kind of do when I read it even though I know it's not anything to do with that, but just that word, uh, but, and, and then myrrh, and nobody really knows what myrrh is, even though we say we do, just joking, so gold represents royalty, because he's the king, and frankincense uh, represents divinity, because he's God, and then myrrh represents death, and when you think about that, it can seem dark, it can seem like a downer, but his death means our life. And then, of course, he defeated death. And whether or not they knew what these gifts meant, whether or not they knew the symbolism, it doesn't matter. What matters is they saw the sign that was meant for them. They followed it. And then they gave to him. They worshipped. They bent their knee to this little kid. Imagine this. Imagine this 6- to 18-month kid 
And they're giving him gifts. And they're, they're saying, you're our king. That is faith. That is showing what it means to follow him. And, and more import, or also importantly, those gifts, they helped Mary and Joseph to survive when they had to go back home. They helped them to have enough money for the trip. They helped them to have enough money to raise him. The important part of their gifts is that it was their devotion that was the true gift. Their worship, their lives that was the true gift. And so in this part of the scripture we've read so far, we see three different responses to Jesus. We see open hatred and hostility that comes from fear. Because Herod does not want to change who he is or what he does. He wants power. And so we see that hatred. We see indifference that comes from knowledge. Because the Pharisees and the scribes, they knew all of the stuff. Like, they knew everything. They had it memorized. When, when Herod called them in, they were probably like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just quoted it. They knew it. But because they knew it so well, they kind of lost their faith. Now, that doesn't mean don't know the Bible. Do. But it means that that's not all we have to do. Knowing isn't all. I believe the tagline for the church is knowing Jesus, and that's important. But making him known is another part of it. That goes together, it flows together, and so they had this indifference because they only knew, they only studied, they didn't do anything else. And then we see from the wise men uh, seeking him out and worshiping him, devoting yourselves to him, shining their light, even if it comes at a cost. And that's what we see from their lives, and that's what we should show with our own lives. That's what we see from Mary and Joseph. Think about the cost that they faced every day as they were raising him. Because I will tell you this, if you've ever had people talk behind your back, or you've ever done something embarrassing, or, or you've ever done something wrong, and I assume nobody here has, but let's just pretend. There are people that never let you forget it. Never. You can see them after 20 years and they will bring up, yeah, you remember this one time? Remember that time that you got a speeding ticket, Peter, remember? And they just keep coming back at you and keep coming back at you because they want you to feel that. And so I guarantee that there were people in Mary and Joseph's life that would say things like, yeah, if he is the son of God, or yeah, well, at least you're married now. Like things like that, just really throwing shade at them. Sorry, that's slang. Really making fun of them, really hurting them. And yet they still followed. They still did everything they could. Mary is mentioned more in the Bible, but especially with her, she basically worked with the disciples after Jesus went back to heaven. It doesn't matter what people said about her. We go to the last verse, last scripture. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So they knew who Herod was all along. Herod was not a secret. Everybody knew that he would have a public face of uh, power and, and glory or whatever he wanted to put on, but behind the scenes and sometimes in front of the scenes, he was cruel and he was vicious and he, he was mean and he was angry and he was rageful and he just, you didn't want to cross him. And so they knew that. And as I said, the, the other uh, Jews in, in the area knew that. They didn't like his violence. They didn't like his cruelty, but they followed him and they put up with it because it benefited them sometimes. And because it's scary to stand up. 
Because it's easy to say, eh, there's nothing I can do. I can't stop this, I can't do anything. There's something called the bystander effect. I listen to a podcast about uh, true crime sometimes and he gets into serial killer things and I'm not gonna go into that, don't worry. But uh, one of the things that comes up a lot is the bystander effect where, some effect, where somebody will see someone get kidnapped or someone will see someone get attacked and it's not that they're cruel or that they're selfish necessarily, it's just that they see it and they think, well, somebody else is going to call, or, or somebody else right now is calling, so, you know, I should just go on. I can't do anything to stop this. And we've all faced that in different ways, and sometimes, you know, it's wise not to stop. If you're driving on I-75 at 2 o'clock in the morning for some reason because the Bengals game came out late and traffic is bad, and you're kind of sad because the Bengals lost, I'm just joking, they might win the division. Uh, but, you know, you're driving and, and you see like this car over and it's, you know, uh, really dark and there's no lights on the side and, and you can see that somebody's kind of messing with the engine and, and you're alone. It's not necessarily a smart thing to stop there and, and, and do something, but why not call? You know, why not call somebody and say, hey, this is going on, this is, you know, there's other ways, but that the bystander effect would be, well, I'm sure somebody's called already. And so there's a quote that I wanted to use, uh, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And that's from Edmund Burke, and he was a writer about morals, and he really wanted to hold everybody to those morals and hold everybody to this life of, of doing the right thing and living the right way. A lot of times, we seek and we worship, but then it ends there. We go to church, and we go to class, and, and we pray, and then out in the world, we're like, yeah, somebody else will take care of that. Someone else will stand up. Someone else will love. Someone else will share hope. Someone else will make a difference. We sometimes think like that. And let me say this, when we watch injustice, when we watch suffering, when we watch hatred, we sometimes make ourselves feel better by I'd never do that or I'm not a part of that. But just watching, that makes us a part of it. Because the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. So watching injustice and hatred and suffering and just letting it happen, going with the bystander effect. Way back in the day, when I was a kid, there were bracelets, WWJD. And they were kind of cool, but the message, even cooler. What would Jesus do in these situations? Would he just watch and say, ah, somebody else will do it? Somebody else will love them. Somebody else will pray for them. Somebody else will pray about them. Someone else will say something. I don't think so. In fact, I, I know that that's not what he would do. Imagine, imagine if the wise men had said after this dream even, like, ah, you know, we got to go back and tell Herod because otherwise he's going to come after us and this could put us in danger. And, and it's not our responsibility 
We don't know that he'll do anything bad. We don't know that he'll follow through like maybe he's telling the truth. So we'll just say and then we'll go on and somebody else will protect Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Somebody else will stand up. We'll just go. Imagine if they'd done that. Now Jesus would have survived no matter what because he's the son of God. But something may have happened to Mary or Joseph or both. But that's not what they did. They didn't think, well, I couldn't stop it. I couldn't make a difference. They stood and they didn't go and attack him. They didn't go and uh, petition him. They didn't go and, and start a revolt. They just stood by walking away with their light. I want to go back to the first verse that I read. Arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. First, we receive the light of Jesus. We make that decision. We accept him. We start that life of coming to church and reading the Bible and praying and, and loving him and being with him. But then, we have a service to perform. We must arise and shine and show others why we're here, show others who we are. It's often said that there are two times a year that people are most receptive to coming to church. And we all know when those are. Christmas and Easter. I almost said New Year's because it's next, but that's not it. Christmas and Easter. Now, we like to think that that's because people understand those are the major religious days, the major religious holidays in the calendar. And we like to think it's because it's everywhere and people are like, oh, you know what, I'm more interested right now. But I have a theory. And my theory is it's less about that and more about the way we act at those times. You see, because when Christmas is coming up, we are all about God. We are all about the birth of Christ. We are all about showing love and joy and hope. We are all about being peaceful. We are all about shining our light. And then at Easter, same thing. We're so excited and so ready to celebrate and so ready to show others why we're going to church and who we are. I think people respond to that. Like, wow, they're so legit. They're so real. They're so hopeful. They're so bright. But then the rest of the year, we kind of fall back into the bystander effect. We kind of fall back into silence. We kind of fall back into just accepting injustice. We kind of fall back into just watching suffering and say, somebody else will handle this. And people see that too. It doesn't have to be that way. The wise men put their lives on the line for this idea that Jesus brought to earth. For this salvation, for this hope, for this peace, for this joy that we celebrate on Christmas. They put their lives on the line. Mary and Joseph put their lives on the line to do the right thing. They shone with God's light. They let their light shine for all to see. Because the glory of the Lord shines on us. How amazing is that? The God that created everything, the God that gives everything, the God that gives life, 
put a star or a planet or a comet in the sky to bring these people to Jesus, to his son, to help Mary and Joseph and to worship him and then to keep him safe by defying Herod, not even publicly condemning him, but just by defying him and saying, I'm not going to stand for this. And then 2,000 years later, we still celebrate that day he was born. But why stop there? You see, we have great power because of God's glory, because of God's light, because of the way we've been given hope and, and him, and because we've accepted it, we have great power. And that gives us great responsibility. And if you know where that quote comes from, you're awesome. But that gives us great responsibility. A responsibility to stand up, yes. But more than that, a responsibility to love, a responsibility to shine, a responsibility to be hope and peace in a world that does not see those things. A responsibility to use that power wisely. And to love God with everything that we have. Our entire heart, our entire soul, our entire mind. With every ounce of our life. Not just on the 25th and whatever day Easter falls on. But every single day. And then to love others in the exact same way. To pour out our light. To pour out our lives. To pour out our hope. To pour out our dreams for others. To show them. Because we know evil will not triumph. Because Jesus already won. And for us, it's time to show that every day. That's all I got. Please stand while I pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for bringing us together here today to worship you. I thank you for, for being with me as I speak, and I thank you for being with Mike as he sings, sang and, and brought his heart to you. And I thank you for each of the people that are here or that are watching online, and I ask that you help us all to see you, to feel you, to see you where we are, to know how to, to show your light, and to feel the confidence and the hope and the desire to show that every day. Help us all to, to be better to stand up for you as we go into the new year. Help us to make it a real new year and to live out Christmas, not just on the 25th, but every single day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for bringing us to this life. Be with us in everything that we do. In your name we pray, amen. In closing, I just have a couple of announcements.